This is Unretirement, a podcast about finding purpose and a paycheck in the second half of life from American public media. I'm Chris Farrell. A widespread prejudice, an acceptable stereotype, is that older workers and aging entrepreneurs aren't creative. They can't innovate. They're stuck in their ways. Oh, sure, they're reliable. But creative? Forget about it. Well, this is wrong. Really wrong. Research scientists and scholars have demolished the stereotype that creativity declines with the passage of birthdays. In the second half of life, people often come up with new ideas and intriguing solutions, typically by tapping into their experience and the insights that they've accumulated over the years. They're able to connect the dots in unique ways to solve problems. I like the way Henry Longfellow put it in a poem he wrote for the 50th anniversary of the class of 1825 at Bowdoin College. Longfellow runs through a list of giants. Chaucer penned the Canterbury Tales at age 60. Goethe finished Faust in his 80s. And he exhorted his Bowdoin classmates, don't lie down and just fade away. No, he wrote, something remains for us to do or dare. And I like this stanza in particular. I'm going to read it. For age is opportunity no less than youth itself, though in another dress. And as the evening twilight fades away, the sky is filled with stars, invisible by day. Longfellow was in his late 60s when he wrote that. Breaking down pernicious stereotypes surrounding creativity is one of the bigger challenges facing the unretirement movement. So in this episode, we will hear from Iris Shiraishi, who took a creative leap in her early 60s. We'll also hear from Richard Leiter, the best-selling author inspiring a generation of boomers to reimagine their possibilities. And we'll take a listener question. But first, let's meet Iris. Imagine a stage. On it is Iris, a dynamo with a big Japanese drum, black pants, purple, white, and pink shirt. She starts hitting the drum, grinning. The audience starts clapping. She smiles. They laugh. Iris is fluid, natural with the drum. You'd think she'd been playing taiko since she was young, but actually, Iris came to the drum late in life. Iris is a self-described band geek growing up in Hawaii. She trained as a classical musician and composer at the University of Iowa. Later on, she got her PhD in music therapy. She worked for years in her chosen profession, using music to help children and families in the foster care system rebuild trust and connections through music. She loved her job. It was her mission. But something was missing. She was in her 40s, and she still hadn't found her true creative inspiration. So I just happened to see this little, tiny little ad. Literally, it was an inch and a half square. And I read it and said they were offering a taiko class. I had not actually ever been interested in drumming before. I was very much a pianist and I was very much a Western music composer. There really wasn't any connection with that Japanese-American culture and or Asian-American culture. Taiko is a form of Japanese and Samo drumming. It has deep roots in Japanese history, but the modern art form was born in Japan after the Second World War. Taiko combines music, movement, and even martial arts. It's intense. Listen to this. Sit. 
watching Iris play, you don't just hear the music, you feel it in your body. So many people are drawn in by the sheer power of it, the physicality of it. But for me, it was the sound of the drums plus the movement possibilities with it. Iris found what she'd been missing. For me, Taiko just kind of reeled it, reeled me in. I was um, finally felt compelled to start, start writing music again. And once I started doing that, I realized this is my medium. You know, this is where I feel most comfortable. Iris went from Taiko student to Taiko teacher. She left her job as a music therapist to start a new chapter, artistic director of the Taiko Ensemble at Mu Performing Arts. Mu is one of the largest Asian-American performing arts organizations in the country. She did that for 14 years. Well, it was time for another change. Time to take a creative risk in her early 60s. She left her steady job at Mu. She started her own taiko group, Ensemble Ma, in 2014. She's experimenting with her taiko music, taking risks, breaking the traditional rules, like bringing in a guitar into her taiko composition, which is what she does in this piece called Farther East. Her husband, Alex, is on the guitar. So you're 61 years old, and you're composing again. Yes. You're experimenting again. Yes. What's that like? Um, it has been what has kept me alive uh, and, and growing. It has been really gratifying to, to find these ways to say, well, what would happen if I did this? Can I be 61, and can I bring in elements of my environment and my background into this music? To make it really, truly, truly my own. It's the hardest, hardest thing to do for me, but it's also the most gratifying. Do you think you could have, I mean, this is now thinking back, but could mm -hmm. you be doing what you're doing now at 50? No. Or there's just something you've yeah. hit a stage of life where yeah. it's time to take a risk? Yes, yes. I couldn't have at 50. At that point, I would have been, pl been playing for only like eight years. But then I do feel now at 61 that I um, know a little bit more of who I am, even 11 years later, much more than I did at 50. And feeling like, if I don't do this now, when am I going to do this? Having left Mu and starting Ensemble Ma, she sees her on retirement as the most innovative period in her life. This just sounds so exciting. So is this now, I don't know what, this is your unretirement. This is your, mm -hmm. this is what you're, this is what you see yourself doing. Yes. Yes, it is. When I left, I knew I would still have to work. I'm not quite there with, a, I'm not eligible for Social Security yet. But even so, I don't know if I I'm going to retire. I'm going to have a formal retirement. Maybe I'll taper off duties if my physical health doesn't hold up. Um, but I need this. I need to play. I need to perform. I need to teach. I really need this contact. I need to get out there um, in the world. But Ira says getting out there in the world doesn't mean the same thing to her today as it did when she was younger. And I found out that I didn't need to have 
a main stage. I don't need to have this big stage anymore to play on or lots of publicity or anything. But I do want to play for audiences that maybe doesn't have this opportunity. But also this connection with teaching as well. You know, I really feel like that is a large part of my identity as an artist is to be able to share this. Iris is on a journey, and she is incredibly thoughtful. So along the way, she had this realization that at her core, she's a teacher. And then I found that my eyes light up when I talk about working with older adults. I'm sure it is because I'm getting older. It's, it's kind of a little bit of a hard sell because it is so physical. And once people see you perform, they're thinking, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. But I now have on tape, <laughs> on video, you know, examples of some folks who are well into their uh, older years and who are successful, you know, at it. I want to play you a bit from that video. Listen to how much fun the audience is having watching five women with gray and white hair play these huge drums arranged in an uneven circle on the stage. (laughs) She's teaching music and taiko to older adults usually in senior centers and continuing care communities. This is work with meaning. This is work that makes a difference. I remember going into one session, and our theme was the state fair. I took songs from uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein's Carousel, and the song we used to stretch and move to was If I Loved You. One woman um, who would have a hard time sometimes even singing her name on cue. And I got to her, and I started singing, If I loved you time and again, I would try to say. And then she picked it right up, and she sang every single word perfectly. And that gave me goosebumps. And it just showed me the power of music right there already. And that's when I know, even when I go in and I'm unsure of whether or not this activity is going to work, Can I make everyone feel engaged and respected and seen for themselves? Am I doing any good here? And after that, I I said to myself, well, if I did one thing well, and if I brought some joy to someone today, that was it. That's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me inspired, actually, for myself to keep on playing. Well, I'm inspired. Absolutely. So what you have to do is, if that unfortunate time comes, and it's not a given for everybody, that you find that your memory is failing, I would love everybody to write this musical kind of will and musical directive. Okay. So if my memory fails, I think I'll tell my family, I want the Rolling Stones to be blaring through the retirement complex. Well... Or maybe Guns N' Roses. What about Bob Dylan? I have to think about this. You can see videos of Iris's Ensemble Ma and her classes with older students on our website, Unretirement. FM. And while you're there, tell us, what would be on your musical will and why? Up next, we hear from Richard Leiter 
an author and coach who knows a lot about finding purpose through creativity later in life. This prejudice that creativity in aging is an oxymoron really bothers me. And I've been in meetings, and you have probably been in meetings, where people will say things about someone who's older and their lack of creativity without even thinking about it. It just sort of comes out because, of course, you have your senior moments. Of course, you're stuck in your ways. Of course, we're not going to turn to an older person to come up with a technological solution to a problem that we're facing. Of course, of course, like all stereotypes. It's completely mistaken. In early 2015, I went to a Matisse exhibit at the Museum of Modern Art. It was his cutouts, which are considered by the experts to be the height of his creative endeavors. They're masterpieces. They were beautiful, stunning. Yet they were done in the last decade of his life from his bed and wheelchair. He died at age 84. Matisse isn't alone. There's a long list of painters, sculptors, writers, and other artists that did their most creative work in their 60s, their 70s, their 80s. The same goes with the professions. And it isn't just the professions. In an earlier podcast, we talked to Joe. Joe, an airline mechanic who is exercising his creativity, restoring and repairing vintage motorcycles. Older workers are still learning decades into their careers. Faced with a problem? They draw on a lifetime of experience to connect the dots to solve the problem. Many of those in their unretirement years are more comfortable taking a risk than they were when they were younger. They need the opportunity. Speaking of opportunity, Richard Leiter has spent a career helping people tap into the power of purpose, the title of his best-known book. Leiter has authored or co-authored eight other books, selling over one million copies. He's also the conceptual leader of Life Reimagined, a joint venture with AERP to encourage more and more people to find their calling and meaning in the second half of life. I've met Richard a number of times, and I've always walked away with something to think about. So I asked Richard, why is it this common belief that you can't be creative in the second half of life? I think the older we get, the more creative we get. It's the opposite. And... Um... Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, most people go to their graves with their music still in them. I think people start really getting the freedom to play their music in the second half of, of life. And oftentimes it's not always creative in the original, but it's creative and it's passionate. So what have you learned over the 40 years, 50 years? You've been interviewing people who are 65 and older. Yep. And what have they taught? Why did you talk to the 65-year-olds and older? And what have they taught you? Well, now that we're living, you know, in 1900, the average life expectancy was 47. Now it's in the 80s. So I picked 65 three decades ago to interview people because that was the standard retirement age. And I was most, I picked it because so many people die within 24 or 36 months of retiring. I wanted to really dig into that and ask people about that. And I asked them if they could live their life over, what would they do differently? And there are three themes that have stood the test of time to today. Number one, they'd be more reflective the second time around. Well, in the past, being reflective was not something that was, you know, a normal thing. And we didn't live that long. So being reflective was not about pausing to have three decades of retirement or unretirement. And uh, second thing is, and by the way, I asked him, well, when were you reflective? 
during a crisis. In other words, when they had a health, financial, relational, then they had to push the pause button. And you start thinking back. Exactly. And forward. And uh, secondly, they said they'd be more courageous the second time around. Number one regret in their life was around work. They spent 60% of their life working. They wish they would have been more a better fit, better job fit, because it was the hugest investment of their most precious currency of their time. Second one was relationships. So work and love, work and relationships were the two areas they wish they would have been more authentic. And the third thing was purpose. But they didn't call it purpose. They said, I wish I would have understood my own bottom line earlier in life, what really matters, what's really important, what I call the power of purpose. And uh, so those are the big, big three themes. And they go from cradle to grave. In other words, retirement, or what used to be called retirement, is not a time to stop reflecting or and working. You don't have to work in the classic way for a job, but but calling never – I make a distinction between job, career, and calling. Calling never stops. It's a cradle-to-grave thing. So people are still called to volunteer, to be generatively connected to community and things like that. So all three of these, reflection, courage – and uh, purpose are for life. So do you run across people who say, God, yes, you're right. Okay, but what is my purpose? What is my passion? All day, every day. <laughs> I can imagine. That's kind of the, <laughs> I call it the uh, got a minute school of coaching. <laughs> people say, you got a minute? Can you tell me what I ought to do with the rest of my life? <laughs> or what is my purpose? And uh, I say, well, if you only got a minute... Actually, this is the most well-researched formula for purpose by me and by many others worldwide. And, it, and I, I call it the napkin test. Just write this down on a napkin. G plus P plus V equals C. Uh, gifts is the G. What are my most enjoyed, most loved gifts or talents? P stands for passion. What do I really care about? What would I like to use my talents in the service of? And V is values. How do I want to operate in this phase of my life? And so if you have a reason to get up in the morning, which is my definition for purpose is having a reason to get up in the morning. If you don't have that, you just don't do as well. You don't live as long. You're not as healthy, happy. So if you have a good reason to get up in the morning, it's usually when you're using your gifts on things you care about in an environment that fits your values. Now, when you need to get paid for that, it's a little bit tougher, but at least you know what you're looking for. If you don't need to get paid for it or you, you're speculating or trying out new things, this is the way to go. Are you using your gifts on things you care about in environments that fit who you are? That equals your calling or ultimately your purpose. And I like the, in a way, I like the word speculate because... Do you think people should go out and test some things? And we all have kind of ideas about what we like, but give it a little test. See if this is something that I really like. Would I like to make some money doing this? Or doing this and making money don't quite go together. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great question. And, and uh, I, I think there's six steps to, to figuring out purpose and executing on it or acting on it. Uh, and it's not linear. You can bounce around, but there's number one is reflect. Number two is connect. Talk with somebody about what your reflections are. Get some feedback. Maybe even have a sounding board. 
an unretirement sounding board, I think, should be a must. Third is explore. Get out and not just in front of the computer exploring, but talk to people that are doing what you want to do. Uh, open doors. And then uh, fourth is choose. Decide which path you want to go down and, and make some moves in that area. And fifth is uh, repack. You know, I wrote a bestseller called Repacking Your Bags. That's right, yeah. And uh, one of the things we need to do is to let, is to let go or unpack in other words, if you want to do certain things, you might have to unpack your calendar and let go of some things. You might have to unpack your pocketbook and look at not spending something on this so you have some money for that. So repack is kind of one of those nice metaphors for what do you need to let go of in order to repack for the journey ahead. And then finally is to act, and that's to say, what's the first step I can take, the baby step that I can take to actually do this? So that's the process that uh, I take people through uh, to explore their purpose, to explore and speculate on their possibilities. So you know, if you think about the past uh, 25 years or so, and you know, using the word retirement, a lot of it has been about money. You yep. know, your 401k, right. your 403b, yep. whatever. So money's important. Yep. But let's put that aside for mm -hmm. the moment. I think a lot of what you're saying, like your six points and moving toward action, that's what retirement planning is about, in retire or unretirement planning, right. or encore career, or life reimagined. Yep. That you know, as you're sort of entering, it's a just it's another transition, mm -hmm. and as you're entering another transition, plan for it, think it through, and have an open mind. Right. And don't go it alone. One of the things that we say, or that I say, is that isolation is fatal. Going it alone is an incredibly bad idea. Who is on your sounding board? Who are the people that you talk with about the new possibilities? Because there's going to be all kinds of stories. I live in a neighborhood where I don't know how it got this way, but most of the people <laughs> are retired. And most of them are, um, they all have different visions of what that means, whether it's busyness with stuff and grandkids or, or whatever, and some are, and some have the, the uh, traditional sit and relax and travel, travel, travel. It's all good. So, I mean, you, you get to decide. Everybody's an experiment of one. But I see the people who are engaged in things that are creative, for example, are way more vital, way more alive, way more interesting to be in a conversation with. One of my greatest fears is to be in a party, for example, or a dinner party next to a former anything. <laughs> who's, who's still talking about what was. And I said, well, what is? What are you creating with your life? What are you doing that, that you find passion and interest? And, and you know how it goes. Certain people are just kind of stuck in a do-loop of being busy. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. That was Richard Leiter. G plus P plus V equals P. I like that. Gifts plus passion plus values equals purpose. We'll have that equation on our website if you haven't written it down at unretirement.fm. We'll also link to Richard's books and the website Life Reimagined in the show notes for this episode. Now it's time for a listener question. If you have a question for me, get in touch with us through our website, unretirement.fm. 
Hi, my name is Marcy. Uh, thank you for having this program. My question is as follows. Why are we self-employed people always so invisible in these programs? Uh, people who run their businesses don't usually perceive a first half or a second half in life, especially if we truly love what we're doing and we're fortunate to stay healthy. However, many of us, even if we sort of die with our boots on, we still need to save for eventualities or if we suddenly want to see the world or something like that. So my question would be, could Mr. Farrell please address some specific needs of the self-employed? Thank you so much. Marcy, entrepreneurs have choice when it comes to saving. First of all, many entrepreneurs, of course not all, but many entrepreneurs pocket some savings when they sell their business, the equity that they built up over the years. But not everybody can sell a business. And whether or not that's an option, there are still some good retirement savings plans for the entrepreneur. For the sole proprietor, you don't have any employees, although your spouse can be part of the business, there is the solo 401k. And the solo 401k, you can save a lot of money and you get all the options that the employee has with the 401k, and you can also set up what is called a Roth Solo 401k. So with the traditional 401k, Solo 401k, the dollars that you put in the, into the plan are pre-tax dollars. And when you take them out during your retirement years, you pay whatever you owe on ordinary income taxes. With the Roth, you put in after-tax dollars, but when you withdraw the money during retirement, it's tax-free. The other retirement savings plans that's really easy for entrepreneurs is the SEP IRA. Now, the SEP IRA, you put in pre-tax dollars, and when you withdraw in retirement, you pay your taxes then. The SEP is really simple. It's really easy. It has essentially no administrative costs. And if you add employees as your business grows, you can include them in the SEP IRA. So those are two avenues. There's a couple of more. There's a simple IRA if you're a slightly larger business. But entrepreneurs need to save for retirement. There are these programs that make it relatively simple and easy for entrepreneurs to save. The advantage of the solo 401k, whether it's the traditional or the Roth version, and the SEP IRA is that you can save a lot more than you can in a traditional IRA. For most small businesses, they probably can't take full advantage of the amount of money that they could put aside on a yearly basis. Nevertheless, I hope that becomes an option. One other point, you know, as an employee, the money comes out of your paycheck and goes into retirement savings automatically. It never shows up in your checking account. So once you've signed up for the plan or your employer signs you up for the plan, you never have to think about it again. It's simply the money is going into this retirement savings. Now, as a independent entrepreneur, you have to take an extra step, which is go to your bank, your credit union, wherever your money is going, and set it up so that a little bit of money every month is automatically going into your retirement savings. And at first, it may be a really small sum of money. You may look at that at the end of the year and say, wow, that's not that much. But most people don't have the luxury who are independent entrepreneurs to be putting aside too much money. And you can always add the money toward the end of the year if you realize that you have the, the savings. But what really helps is making it automatic and making actually as much of our savings automatically as possible. And that is really easy to do, whether it's a 401k, a Roth solo 401k, a solo 401k, 
a SEP IRA, the financial institution you're working with, they'll set up an automatic moving the money from one account into your retirement account every month. Thanks for listening to Unretirement. I'm Chris Farrell. One of the joys of doing the podcast is reading and hearing listener comments, your feedback. So we want to hear from you. And could you do us a favor? Go to iTunes, look up on retirement, and leave a rating and review of the show. It truly helps us get the word out to more listeners. Our listener question came through American Public Media's Public Insight Network. To become a news source for APM, go to publicinsightnetwork.org. On Retirement is produced by American Public Media. Editor Catherine Winter, producer Lauren D., and our Sherpa is Steve Nelson. <laughs>